0: For those of you that don't know, my name is Javon Johnson. I am the chaplain in the United States Navy. I am stationed at Camp Pendleton at 111, 1st Marine Division 111. And today I am bringing the message to you today. When, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over all the earth. He said, you can do pretty much whatever you want. I want you to name the, the animals. I want you to eat of all the stuff that's over here. But, but I don't want you to eat from this tree. And of course, Adam and Eve are chilling and they're by the tree, and the serpent comes along and he tells, he tells Eve, Did God really say you're gonna die if you eat from this tree? And so they go on and they eat from that tree. And God is looking for Adam and Eve, and they are found naked and ashamed. And God looked at them and said, Well, who told you that you were naked? He's like, Adam was like, Well, you know that woman you gave me? <laughs> it's her fault. And then Eve was like, you know, the serpent over there, it's is his fault. And they began to blame each other. So God put a curse on Adam and Eve. But I think we have a misconception. I think that we think God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden right away, but he didn't. In fact, it says this, that God did this. He says, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why did he do this? So that they cannot feel ashamed. So they cannot feel Guilt. Anymore, oh, how deep the Father loves us. And and as Adam and Eve, they they put they get together and they have kids and they have Cain and Abel and Cain and Abel are giving offerings to the Lord. And Abel is giving a great offering to the Lord. He's giving the best of what he can give. Him. But Cain is giving the fats, the things that he's going to throw away to God. And God said, I'm going to show favor on Abel's offering, but I'm not going to show favor on Cain's offering. So Cain is upset. And God goes to Cain and says, Cain, why are you upset? If you do what is right, it'll go well for you. But if you do what is wrong, sin is crouching at your door. And so Cain didn't listen to the advice of God. He takes his brother to a field. He kills him in cold blood. And God comes to Cain and says, where's Abel? Well, I'm not my brother's keeper. He's like, you know what? I, I, Abel's blood calls for me from the ground. I know you did this horrible thing. I'm going to curse you, and I'm going to keep you out of my presence. And Cain was like, no, no, no. He got scared. He said, God, God, please don't kick me out of your presence. If you kick me out of your presence, someone will find me and kill me. <laughs> How ironic. How ironic. He just killed his brother in cold blood, yet he's upset or frustrated or scared that someone's going to kill him. But you would think that God would be like, I don't care if they kill you. You killed your own brother. Instead, he says this. He says, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Oh, how deep the Father's love is. Fast forward a little bit into human history, and the Israelites have been captured by the, the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are working them as slaves, and, and over and over again, the Egyptians are calling out to God, God, please save me, please save us, save us from the Egyptians, and so he, he, he hears the cries of his people, and he brings up Moses, and Moses, he tells Moses, hey, I need you to go take them. Out of of, uh, uh, Pharaoh's hand, I'm going to send these plagues. I'm going to do all all these things to get them away from Pharaoh. And in the process, he ends up doing the last plague, which is killing the firstborn. And Pharaoh was like, you know what? I'm done. Go ahead and go. And so he lets the people go, and they go into the Red Sea, and they're stuck right here. But Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, no, I want them back. So he sends his army to go chase after them. And they're looking over here, and they're at the Red Sea. At the Red Sea, they're like, oh, did you bring us out here to die, Moses? And God opens the Red Sea so they can walk through it. And as they're walking through it, the army c- continues to try to pursue them, and they get swallowed up by the water. They see God do these amazing plagues. They, they see God deliver them from the hands of the Pharaoh. They see God destroy Pharaoh's army, yet l- yes, less than three months into their journey, they're complaining. It says this in Genesis, Exodus chapter 16, verse 2-3. through three. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. I I can only imagine if I was God, I'm like, you ungrateful little punks. You see all the stuff that I did for you, all these amazing things that I've done, and you still don't call on me. You just complain about what you used to have. You'd rather be slaves than free. Good thing I'm not God, because that's not how God responds. In fact, he says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather food for that day. And in this way, I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Oh, how deep the Father's love. But the Israelites... They wander around the desert for 40 years, and then they finally get to the land that God had promised them. And in the midst, the Bible tells us this. It says, generations after generations grew up and neither knew the Lord or what he had done for his people. And so in the process of all of this, they end up assimilating into the culture and just doing exactly what everybody else is doing. And so because they were doing that, God took his favor away from them. He, he said, I'm not going to help you out. And so there's these raiders, they would come in and take and pl- a, 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 um, pl- pillage their communities. And they were crying out to God, God, please rescue us from the hands of these raiders. And so God, being God, sends the judges. And it says this, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them from the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They asked God to save them and he saved them, yet they still prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. And over and over again you see in Judges, in Judges chapter 3 verse 7, it says, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Asherahs. Again, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. And you would think by this point that God would just give up. That God would just say, you know what, I'm done with these people. Every time I try to rescue them, every time they call out to me, I rescue them. I'm faithful to them, but then they turn around and they're not faithful to me. But no, he goes from judges to now he's going to bring the prophets. And one of the prophets is Hosea. He brings Hosea. He says to Hosea this, go and marry a promiscuous woman. And have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. It's like an adulterous wife, this, man is, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And he wants to show the people what they have been doing to him since the beginning of time. Yet, despite all the evil, despite all the rebellion against God, God never turns his back on his people. And God tries to warn them also through these prophets. He says this in Jeremiah 6, verse 8. Take warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn away from you and make your land desolate so that no one can live in it. And so he sends his prophets, he tells the prophets, hey, you need to turn away from your sins, turn away from the life that you're living, stop worshiping these other gods, and worship me instead, because I am the true and living God, but they never do it. It's interesting, because God says this in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty God says. I will save my people from these countries of the East and the West. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. And and I'm sitting back and I'm reading this. And he says, I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. And I'm thinking, really? Really, God, you're going to be faithful and righteous to these people, to us? Since the beginning of time, we have disobeyed you. We have followed evil. Even when you have blessed us and kept us, we still turned our backs away from you. And you're saying that you're going to be faithful and righteous to us as our God. And I can see God saying, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm like, really? How deep the Father's love is for us. But this is not even the craziest part. This is, this is not even the part that should trip us out. The part that should trip us out is the fact that God said he looks down upon all the people and he looks at everybody He says, all the sin of the world keeps them away from me. Yet I have a plan in my head. God said, I have a plan in my head. I'm going to send my son down from heaven to die for their sins. And he uses the prophets to tell them this too. He says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You got to be kidding me right now. So not not only are are you going to be faithful to us as a God, but you're going to send your only son to die for us. That is some crazy stuff. And so you have... Saul, who, who became Paul at, at the end, he is going around and he's breathing murderous threats upon Christians. He's saying, if anybody that believes in Christ, I'm going to kill them. And so he's walking around killing them. And, and, and on his road to Damascus, Jesus comes to him and he says to him, hey, you, you, you're kind of doing it wrong. You're kind of wrong. I, I need you to not kill my followers and follow me. And so. Paul ends up doing that. And in the midst of doing that, you see Paul writing all these letters. And and, and this is the most important thing that you will hear today. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. This is Paul writing. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we truly understand how much God will go through to get us? Do we truly understand that God will do go through everything? anything to get us, despite all the evil, despite all the times we turn our back against them, despite all the times that we choose to worship other things and worship other gods and worship, do do things that are not holy. God says there's nothing that will be able to separate us from his love. I can tell by the lack of amens that we don't truly believe that God loves us this much. We don't don't truly believe that God actually loves us this much. And and this is how I know we don't believe that God loves us this much because some people are in this room right now and and, and they have been dealing with sin and and they feel ashamed of their sin. Why do you feel ashamed? Because God says he loves you anyway. And, And in fact, some people who are sitting in this room right now, if somebody was to tell you what sins they have done, they'd sit up there and judge them as if you're not a sinner as well. I know we truly don't believe that God loves us as much because not only would somebody judge the people who tell of their sins, but they also gossip about them and say, did you hear about what Johnny did? I can't believe he did that. We don't truly believe God loves us as much. You know, you know how I know we don't truly believe that God loves us as much? Because I see all the empty seats I see the empty seats in this auditorium and I know for a fact that if we actually believe that God loves us the way that he says he loves us, that we will be shouting from the rooftops that God loves us more than anything in the world. And you can tell the people at your work, and you can tell the people at your school, you can tell people at the grocery store that God loves you. You don't have to deal with the pain anymore. You don't have to deal with the guilt anymore. You don't have to deal with your bad marriage or your bad financial situation. Because if you go to God, he will forgive you of everything and get rid of all of your sin and doubt and shame and grief. But we truly don't believe God loves us this much. Or every time we come in contact with somebody, we would tell them of the amazing love that God has poured down on every last one of the humans in the world. You see, we don't live in the love of God because we feel unworthy. We, we, We don't live in the love of God because we actually feel that we are unworthy of being in God's presence. And so what happens is we, 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 we have a sin in our life, and, and because we feel unworthy, we don't want to go to God with that sin, and then eventually it turns into us not reading our Bible as much, and it turns into us not praying as much, and it turns into us not confessing our sins to one another because we're afraid that people are going to judge us or, or gossip about us. You see, we don't live in the love of God because we feel that we are unworthy, but we feel like we are unworthy. When we feel like we are unworthy, we move further and further away from God. God can never love me. God can never love a sinner like me. Do you know what I've done? Yet I just showed you from the beginning of human history all the craziness that people have done against God. And he says, I'm going to be their God. I'm going to be faithful no matter what. And a matter of fact, I'm going to send my son to die so that they can have access to me. Oh, how deep the Father's love! I, 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 got news flash for you guys. We all are unworthy. We all are unworthy of the love of God. Yeah, you ever watch Oprah? Oprah, she's like, hey, you get a car, you get a car, you car. Everybody gets a car, right? Well, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Everybody's a sinner. Check this out, though. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Oh, man, I I don't think we understand. I don't think we can wrap our minds around how amazing this actually is. Imagine if I try myself. I wanted to, let's say I wanted to be a lawyer. And I I never went to law school. The only thing I ever did was a police officer for like six months. Um, So I don't know anything about law. But I I go and I do the bar exam. Probably going to fail that thing. (laughs) And the results are going to come back and they're going to say, I'm sorry, Javon, you are not worthy. You don't make the cut. I'm 34 years old, I'm pretty decently athletic, I'm pretty fast, pretty strong, but I'm nowhere near as good as being in the NFL. But I can go right now and pay a fee to go play for the Chargers or the Rams and then try out for their team. And more than likely, if I try out for the team, they're going to look at me and say, nice try, buddy, but uh, you're unworthy. You don't make the team. even still in the military right now. If I don't, I have a standard. Um, they have a standard for us to be in the military, but I say I got to get 60 push-ups, 60 sit-ups, and a 12-minute mile and a half. But if I don't meet that threshold, the Navy looks at me and says, you are not worthy. you're off the team now. <laughs> yeah, God looks at every last one of us, every last one of our sins, every last one of our unworthiness, and he says, you know what, you're not worthy of being in my presence, but I still want you on my team. How deep the Father's love is for us. Let me try to explain it this way. <laughs> These are my daughters. The one on the left is Aria, and the one on the right is lamb. I can only imagine somebody came up to me and said, hey, I, I want you to sacrifice one of your children For the sins of the world. I was like, man, you better get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't sacrificing one of my kids. I'm not going to, I wouldn't even sacrifice a limb or a finger. You want to know why? Because the world has done me dirty. People have done me dirty. People have treated me, y'all lucky I'm not God. I just destroyed the whole thing. (laughs) But I can't wrap my mind around it. That God would send his only son. I have two daughters. God would send his only son to die for somebody like me. To die for the people who sinned against me. To die for the people in this room. That God would send his only I, I don't think, I, I can't understand it because I would never, ever, ever sacrifice my daughters for the sins of this world. Yeah, God does it. And he says, even though you are unworthy, even though you are not worthy to be in my presence, I'm going to make you worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want you in my presence. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate you from God's love. God will go into the ends of the seas to get you. And he wants a relationship with every last one of us. Despite your sin, despite being unworthy, he says, I still want you on, your te- on my team. And so I want to encourage us to live in the love of God. And this is a um, song by Molly Music. I'm not going to sing because I can't sing. But um, he, he says, how can I reach out to someone else when I ain't got it together myself. He says, how how can I reach out to someone else when when I ain't got it together myself? I I, I think that that line and and that attitude is a defeatist attitude. You're already defeated. Because you think that somehow it's because of your own power, your own righteousness, that you can tell people about Jesus Christ. That you can tell people about the love of God. None of us are worthy of his presence. And and the quicker we understand that, the better our lives are going to be. The the, the quicker we understand that we need to live in the love of God, the better everything is going to be for you. You're going to go to work and you're going to live in the love of God and you won't be mad at your boss all the time. Because you realize that most of this stuff is temporary, and God loves people despite how evil or mean they are towards you. If you're living in the love of God, what will happen is that your relationship with your wife or your husband will be better. And if it's not good right now, it's because you're not living in the love of God. I think we grow up in church and we hear over and over again, God loves us, God loves you unconditionally, but we never truly wrap our minds around the idea of how much he loves us. Once you wrap your mind around the idea of how much God loves you, your life will be different. Not might be. Not supposed to be. It will be different. And so I want to encourage us as we we move forward to to live in the love of God. Stop, Stop thinking that we're better than other people. Stop judging other people. Stop gossiping about people. Stop thinking that somehow I'm too unworthy to come into the presence of God. We're all in that same boat. Yet God says, I want you and I love you anyway. And so I know there's probably people in this room right now, and I know how when you go to a lot of these other churches, they they have the altar call and tons of people come up and they give their heart to Jesus. And then the Church of Christ, like no one comes up. Because I think that we feel the shame. I think when we if we were to make that dreaded walk down here to, to have somebody pray for us or to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like people are thinking of judging me. What are they thinking about me? What are they saying? If it actually worked the way it's supposed to work, when the preacher gets done, everybody should come up to the altar caller because they realize, hey, I didn't mess up all week. I didn't get it right all week. And I need some repentance, and I need some forgiveness over my life. You see, a lot of us have been living in fear, living in guilt, living in shame over our sin, and and we have secret sins. I want to encourage you to live like that no more. Live like that no more. Put yourself in a position to be loved by God, because God says, despite all of the evil things that people have done over the history of the world, I love each and every last one person, and I want them to come into presence, into my presence. And so, if you have anything um, that you would like for me to pray for you about, if you if you think if you feel so inclined, you say, "Hey, I want to live in the love of God, and I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." There's no time like the present to do that. Um, if you have any requests or anything that you would like for us to pray for you about, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing. How deep the The Father's Father's love love for us. us.